Welcome to episode two of Up to the Task, a podcast series brought to you by Agence Française de Développement, for short AFD, in partnership with the National Administration of Conservation Areas, ANAC, where we look at Mozambique's efforts to preserve its biodiversity and its wildlife that has been faced with large-scale poaching, causing the disappearance of more than half of all elephants in the country over the past 10 years. I am your host, Andisue Michelle May. In this episode, we visit the Forward Operating Base, for short, FOB, where the Limpopo National Park anti-poaching strategy is. We have just left the Limpopo National Park headquarters and we are traveling to the forward operating base. Guilherme has been tasked with directing us to the base. And as you can hear from the background, we are driving on a very bumpy and rough gravel road. Let me say my name. Yes. My name is Guilherme de Santos Malulek. Um, I'm a field ranger. Guilherme has been a ranger for 20 years now. He was part of the first group of rangers to be deployed in the park, along with Antonio Chuman, who we heard from in the previous episode. It's not far, it's almost 27 kilos from to the border. As we approach FOB, we see tree branches lying in the middle of the gravel road. Guilherme explains that this is a sign that there are elephants that roam in the area. We also see a group of young impala. This is our camp. It was a school before. Yes, it was written a school. <laughs> Driving into the base, you can see an old building resembling what used to be a school. And the word escola is painted across the wall in what I can tell was white paint but it is now completely faded. What comes after the building are tents. My name is uh, Melvin Zifesho. I'm originally from uh, Zimbabwe. And um, yeah, I'm an admin and uh, I'm an admin officer here at uh, LNP for the PPF counterpoint group. Before we get to hearing what Melvin's role is at the base, which we will in a little bit, I asked him to briefly explain the camp setting, where rangers spend long weeks and months away from their families and loved ones in order to play their vital role in conservation management and protection. It's called the the FOB base, the forward operating base. And yeah, we all stay in tents, like most of our equipment and all that stuff. The tents are in different shades of green and brown. It reminds me of a field military camp like the ones you see in movies. Multiple tents pitched in an open field in a remote area surrounded by bushes. Some small and others are average sized. There is one big square shaped tent in the corner of the camp. And then the office, uh, we use like a six by 10, uh, just uh, to create a spacious uh, option. 
back to who Melvin is and what he does at FOB. Yeah, so my day-to-day is normally we have patrols on the ground and then whenever they pick up evidence, I'm responsible. Let's say evidence might be snares, gene traps and other stuff related with poaching activities. They report to the radio operator. It's a Portuguese uh, radio operator and then the Portuguese radio operator sends it to me. So I'm more like a, a translator. Yeah, I translate everything into English. I've never seen a snare. I don't know what a snare looks like. Can you describe what that is or what it looks like to me and what it does? So a snare is, is made out of wire, you know, that cable wire. They use that cable wire to actually capture a game, for example, like big game, buffaloes and water bugs. So what happens is that if an animal gets hooked on the snare, when it tries fighting, like like getting out of the snare, then the snare will just keep on tightening, tightening the grip, yeah, until until uh, the the animal gets injured and uh, lose its uh, leg or something, which will lead to death. As we approach the operations tent, Melvin shows me four wooden poles that are mounted to the ground, filled to the brim with a mixture of rusted and fresh steel, copper, and brass snares, reference to the evidence he was referring to earlier. We enter the operations tent. It looks exactly like a scene out of any on a mission army-related movie where the sergeants, lieutenants, and other top dogs gather in a tent around a table with a map, planning an attack on the enemy. Now, in a park that is over one million hectares, it is vital to keep track of where rangers are positioned. So a large wall map charts the landscape with different color stickers, symbols, and visualizations on it. These are explained on a column chart on the far left corner of the map, showing the different locations and data collection points on the ground, as well as highlighting the location of communities inside the park, ranger pickets, and of course, radio towers. The rangers use this map to plan counter-poaching operations. At FOB, all members of the anti-poaching unit play a critical part in the daily counter-poaching operations. Let's meet some of the rangers in charge. Uh, my name is Eugenio Penevi, Fernando Mboweni. Uh, I'm a field ranger at LNP. Now, I'm based here as a LNP representative a kind of uh, FOB manager. As the longest serving member of the anti-poaching unit, Eugenio has been working for Limpopo National Park for almost 14 years. Taking you back to the time when poaching was worse, one of the main reasons because people were still living inside, talking about this area. If you look, this area is very close to the fence. The distance from FOB to the border is about 26 kilometers, as mentioned earlier by Guilherme. It's like a heart of the park. So there were a lot of animals moving here. There's a river there, Mashampan, there's a Masingiri dam there, where the elephants always go to drink. And then so these people were living with the animals. Then there were people that used to hunt elephants here. Then with the resettlement and then with the new resource that you mentioned before, these helicopters and the buttocks. 
so we have been able to at least control uh, the area. Yes. So now are the elephants that come around? Yes, we do have a lot of animals. If I think when you drive, you have seen maybe branches on the road. There are a lot of elephants moving all around, even at the HQ itself. Because of the magnitude of work required to manage FOB, Eugenio is not the only manager. He and Courtney Lawrence are the co-leaders of the anti-poaching unit, each handling different aspects of technical operations of the base. My name is Courtney Lawrence. I am working in Limpopo National Park as a technical advisor to the law enforcement department. Courtney, who is from South Africa, has been in the industry for six years. I've been in South Africa working along parks that border the KMP. I was up in Niasa for two years and then here in the GLC for the last three. So in this episode, you'll be hearing a lot of abbreviations. Let's start with a few that Courtney has already mentioned. KNP refers to Kruger National Park and LNP refers to Limpopo National Park. GLC, however, is a first. The Great Limbombo's Conservancy, GLC for short, is the first privately owned area to be included as part of the Great Limpopo Transfrontier Park, or GLTP, and conservation areas. It consists of nine properties on the eastern boundary of the Kruger National Park. As we learned in the previous episode, the GLTP and conservation areas straddled the border of Mozambique, South Africa, and Zimbabwe, and consolidates almost 100,000 square kilometers of some of the most established wildlife areas in Southern Africa. This is where the Greater Libombos Conservancy lies and how it forms part of the GLTP and conservation areas. For myself personally, I grew up as a youngster in amongst the trees and along the rivers. It's just something that I take personal, the destruction and harm on animals. And it's personally something that I'd like to combat is the illegal harvesting of wildlife. In the previous episode, Pariela explained briefly that there are three levels to poaching syndicates and that they all deal with different trades of animal parts. I asked Courtney to explain to me what the difference is. Your standard rhino poacher is not your standard meat poacher. You get meat poaching, which is guys coming in from communities alongside the park and hunting for meat to feed their families because there is a genuine need to feed their families. And then you get the guys above that who are hunting meat inside the park, killing animals, and then selling the meat and the surplus on a commercial level to make money. This I don't agree with. The first one may be a bit more lenient towards. Then there are predatory poachers who hunt purely for commercial purposes. Your guys hunting lions for commercial trade, hunting pangolin or looking for pangolin, rhino and elephant, which are probably your top level, your top threat. In a park like Limpopo National Park, we don't have rhinos at the moment. We do, however, border Kruger National Park on our western side. There's a lot of free flow of game between the two areas because of the boundary fences, the border fence separating South Africa and Mozambique has not been well maintained. 
The free flow of wildlife is also encouraged by dropping of strategically selected sections of the border fence with Kruger National Park. So we get the occasional rhino, but we push him or her back into where it's safer. After our interview, Courtney suggests that I speak to the head ranger at FOB. He will tell me everything I need to know about the day-to-day -day operations. He walks out of the tent and says to one of the guys in Afrikaans, Rup for Kluta, meaning, call Kluta, they are ready for him. So, my name is Kluta Evan. I'm here on the park for four years now, doing any poaching. I'm the senior ranger here on the park. So basically we do the counter poaching here, protecting the animals, the park. And so I also do the maintenance on the vehicles. I asked Klute to explain the procedure they carry out when they do find tracks. A few details have been cut out for security purposes. A lot of stuff goes into anti-poaching. It's the hours and the manpower. Every day we have uh, morning patrols to see if we can detect some tracks. If we find tracks, we have a procedure that we carry out by following them and trying to catch the poachers. So yeah, well, I have been in a couple of incidents where we caught poachers. It's quite an intense story because you must focus, you must make sure, uh, as a senior ranger, you must make sure that your rangers that's with you are safe. Because you're only not just thinking about the poachers, but you're thinking about the safety of your rangers. With all this information on how much planning goes into counter-poaching strategies, I was curious to know how much planning goes into poaching itself and what measures poachers have to go through in carrying out this act. So I asked the rangers to tell me what happens when poachers poach. Poachers like to move in a group of three. A shooter. Someone that is carrying water. And the other guy carrying rations and an axe. Food supply. They use to stay three nights in Kruger. They can easily stay more than three nights, depending on the area they are in and the number of game in that area. And then they used to hunt in the full moon, not in when it's dark. If they're not successful with rhinos, they, they will shoot an elephant for the ivory. The most of them, they use a rifle called T-75. 458 those big calibers if the poachers come up to let's put let's put rhino into our scenario into a good clean open space and they can harvest it the intention is not to leave the animal alive that only happens when there is a bad shot or when there is a lot of pressure put on the poachers by rangers who are hot on their tracks and if the shot doesn't kill the animal the extraction of the horn usually does. My personal experience have found that guys poaching lion, elephant, rhino are not uh, very remorseful. Do you know how they get the horn or the tusks off? They chop it off with, uh, with an axe. And then the most of the time those who go to Kruger, they just people to work on the ground. They have someone that's gonna take that horn to, to sell somewhere else. As rangers, you know, how do you protect yourselves? 
when you you guys are doing dangerous work um when you go out there what is your care oh to protect ourselves we do have our we carry our rifle when we go out for the patrols what rifle is that uh, again for security reasons i can't reveal some of this information but i will say that they too use some high-end weapons. I'm not sure I, I'm supposed to mention all this. No, don't worry. This is just for, for, for my <laughs> understanding. Yeah. Then uh, we know that when if we are in the bush, we prioritize our life. If there's any dangers, we can even facilitate protect ourselves than the animal. At this point of the interviews, the vehicle maintenance and banging that you have been hearing in the background became too distracting for us to continue recording. While we take a break, Courtney offers to take me on a walkabout of the camp and to see the canine unit. You want to go to the dogs? Yes, let's walk and talk. Okay, we got quite a broad area. We've got, call it, three different pickets. You want to walk and talk? Okay. So we'll walk up here, then I can show you the pickets without walking all the way there. The third picket, and then we can come back to the dogs. Okay, so out here at the back there, I don't know if you can see past that orange shade cloth, we've got the South Region IPZ picket. Which means Intensive Protection Zone. Which we dub the name Nyala. So we've got one team staying there, consisting of, give or take at any time, between 8 and 10 guys. And to our left there, we have our QRF team. QRF refers to the Quick Reaction Force. Which we dub the Romeos. And they have, at any one time on site, between 24 and 28 rangers. Which are attached to the FOB, where we are presently. So they work in conjunction with the Ford Operating Base's Ops Room. And they deploy to problems or threats park-wide. So from here we can react on information that comes in via radios from different pickets. And if it's a crucial problem, we can load up a team into the helicopter, deploy and deal with that threat accordingly. Here, as well attached to our FOB, is our canine sector. We have three dedicated canine handlers and one canine instructor and trainer. And as we're working in conjunction with our Romeo team and our Ford operating base, if there a problem arises where we need a tracking dog, we can deploy accordingly. The three members of the free running pack are AK, Jungle and Fury, who is at the back with a darker coat. He is 25% Doberman and 75% Bloodhound, whereas these three free running pack hounds are a 50-50. 50% Doberman, 50% Bloodhound. Good dogs. Good. 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 These dogs run off leash. They are equipped with one Garmin GPS collar. We can deploy them via helicopter and send the handler up with the helicopter to track them while they're running on the ground. These are more of a quick reaction dog. They're capable of taking tracks. So say somebody crossed a detection zone, the range on the ground can estimate three hours old. 
that would fit into these three dogs capabilities fury at the back there he's a cold leash dog he's capable of taking tracks up to 48 hours old a lot more useful in colder tracks from the canine unit we head over to the airstrip the final component of fob where we will be meeting one of the pilots as soon as he lands of course but while we wait Courtney tells us about some of the issues they are facing at the park. I think we've put a lot of pressure on this park and we've forced the guys. I've got one old colleague that's working in the south, north of Sabi Game Park in Tongat. Mm -hmm. And he says one month, six entries, yeah. six groups going through to Kruger. Oh and I'm thinking, yeah, is it because we're doing a good job yeah. or we're just not picking it up? But, you know, we've got the dam here, Massengeer Dam. He bends down and starts drawing in the sand to elaborate further how poachers are using the Massengeer Dam to cross the border. Our boaters, they don't really give us access to the boat. If they did, it would be a different story. But they use the dam at night. Yeah, I saw you are doing a picture over here. But it's a big place. It's a 1.2 million hectare place. And we... On the ground, less than 100 people. Finally, Courtney points us to the right, where we see a small white plane approaching us. As soon as it landed, I walked up to the pilot, and the first thing I asked him wasn't his name, but rather about the bat hawk. Okay, cool. Take me through right. this baby. So we had the battle, which is manufactured in South Africa, actually in Halsbreit, um, by Battle City is the place called. Owner is Terry Papas, um, which is a great surveillance plane, mainly used for surveillance all over Africa. Most of the park are investing in the battles. So yeah, it's your basic high wing plane. It's have a four-cylinder Rotex engine and three wheels. Um, a two-seater and the capacity of the fuel tank is 100 liters which gives you about five hours endurance so you can stay roughly five hours four and a half hours in the air and then i asked him to introduce himself my name is Walter stein i'm a south african currently working in mozambique with peace parks foundation and um, i'm the batok pilot in limpopo national park peace parks foundation was founded in 1997 by His Royal Highness Prince Bernard of the Netherlands, former South African president and anti-apartheid revolutionary Nelson Mandela, and South African businessman and conservationist Dr. Anton Rupert, to facilitate the establishment of peace parks or transfrontier conservation areas in Southern Africa. With more than 1 million hectares to patrol, implementing effective anti-poaching strategies as well as leveraging limited resources for sustainable development. A core objective of Peace Parks Foundation at Limpopo National Park is to successfully establish an expanded intensive protection zone in the park. The IPZ strategy allocates 80% of anti-poaching resources to the protection of vital hotspots identified along the park's western border a boundary shared with Kruger National Park and the section of Limpopo National Park 
with the largest concentration of game. After wrapping up our full day experience at FOB, we had our first sighting of an elephant. It was covered in dry mud and hidden between the bushes, just a few feet from the side of the gravel road. We stopped the car to see if it was traveling in a herd or alone. It's alone, huh? Yeah. It was the first time we had seen one since we arrived at Limpopo National Park. And it being so close to the headquarters was confirmation and affirmation of the efforts deployed at the park to protect and preserve wildlife and biodiversity. You have been listening to Up to the Task, a four-part podcast series brought to you by AFD. I am Andisiwe Michelle May. In the next episode, we hear about the National Elephant Census financed by AFD in 2018 and the Protected Areas and Elephant Conservation in Mozambique project. To learn more about AFD and our work, visit us at www.afd.fr forward slash en. And follow us on Twitter at AFD underscore EN. For our French speakers, visit us at www.afd.fr forward slash FR. Follow us on Twitter and on Instagram at AFD underscore France. You can also find us on Facebook and on LinkedIn at Agence Française de Développement. This podcast is produced by me, Andesua Michelle May, and podcasting company, Volume. You can find all our episodes wherever you get your podcasts. Volume.